Good morning, and Merry Christmas. Hope you guys had a wonderful day yesterday and Christmas Eve. Um, we're not going to be in the book of 1 Corinthians like the sign says here. We're going to do something a little different here uh, this morning. If you need a Bible, raise your hand, and someone will get a Bible to you down here in the front row. I see that hand. I see that hand. That's as close to an altar call as I get usually. Um, if you have your Bibles, you can open it to Micah chapter 6. I woke up yesterday morning, Christmas morning, and I'd originally planned on going through uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, and but with the holidays and all the things that were going on, I, I just woke up and I had other thoughts in my mind that seemed... I was thinking about, I must have been thinking about them, I don't know when, because I woke up and I was thinking about them. I was thinking about just the new year and, and foundational things that we would build our lives on and what things I would want to share with those I love uh, to help them through their future. And as we're coming up to the new year, these are things that were on my mind, were on my heart. And so I put aside... 1 Corinthians chapter 8, I think we'll be okay without 1 Corinthians for a couple weeks. I don't think anyone's eating food sacrificed to idols. Um, I hope not. Uh, I don't know where you guys eat, but um, we'll, we'll touch on that in a couple weeks. Actually, it has to deal more with freedom and rights than food sacrificed to idols. Just if you're a guest here going, what is this church about? Um, but... This week we're going to talk about just kind of the things that hold us through change. And then next week what we're going to do is, next Sunday we're going to show the DVD series, Crave the Documentary. I hope you'll be here for that. We showed it a month or so ago on the Thursday night. And then what we'll do is on the Thursdays after that go through Crave the Experience. And I think it'll be a, a very advantageous thing for all of us as a community. But what I wanted to do is talk this morning about foundational things that affect our lives. As I've gotten older, time goes by so much quicker. It's not even funny. You look at the year that's gone by and you think, oh my gosh, what's happened? And I think of all the things that have taken place and the things I never would have imagined. And even as, you know, this morning we, we dedicated little Brendan. Also this morning we prayed with Mary as her mom is in the hospital with a double pneumonia and is not doing well and I ask that you would keep her in your prayers. And this year has kind of been like that. I think I had the, the best Christmas I've had in a long time. Enjoying my family, enjoying my friends, but it's also been the most hectic Christmas. You know, with working schedules, I mean, my wife has been working nonstop, she's working today, and even though it's her birthday, I've got a lesson, I've got to go train a dog, a little Yorkie after, you know, service today. I know, how do you, you know, change gears, but the 23rd, I, I did a wedding for uh, some young people I've known uh, a couple weeks before that. I was a part of a memorial service for Corrine's grandmother. I've seen people, my nephew just gave birth 
to a little girl, Shiloh. I have said goodbye to people in funeral services. I have been a part of weddings. My own son got married earlier in the year, did one again just this week. I'm a part of people who are going through divorce. And you see these extremes that go through life and you wonder, what can you hold on to that's secure? I mean, think back in this last year. Would you have expected the things that have happened this year to take place in your life? There's no way when I look back and I think of the monumental things, good and bad, that I would have known would have taken place in this year. Again, from the births to the deaths to the marriage to the divorce, from the sickness to the job losses to the new jobs to the changes, the moving, new friends, old friends moving. Uh, it's just things happen so quickly and so powerfully. And I think that as these things happen and the changes happen, both good and bad, what can we do? to prepare for whatever is in store for 2011. Because you can look at the future and be frightened, especially if you've had a year that has been traumatic. We can become afraid of what lies ahead, but I don't think we're supposed to live in a fear. And this realization of God being a part of our lives, how does that fit? How does that play into? We just dedicated a baby to God. We're saying, God, we believe that you're a part of this life. We want you to be a part of this young baby's life as they grow into a young boy and a young man and to an adult and this family as they raise this child. God, we want you to be a part of that. How does that look? What does that look like? How does that affect us? How do you affect our lives? How do you secure our lives? What guidance can you give us in our lives when everything is changing and there is no security that we can hold on to, whether it's financially, whether it's emotionally, whether it's physically? What do we have? And in Micah chapter 6, starting at verse 6, the prophet says, what shall I come before the Lord? With what shall I come before the Lord and bow before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? And now he's talking about their religious traditions, the Levitical order of how you're supposed to come before God. God, am I going to be coming before the God who is exalted with these offerings. In other words, is, is this offering good enough for you? And he kind of builds on this idea. Is this really enough? In verse 7 he says, Will the Lord be pleased with a thousand rams, with ten thousand rivers of oil? The oil in Leviticus was used with the sacrifice as an offering. And so now it's not just one calf, it's are you going to be pleased with the thousand rams and with these rivers of oil? Is that enough for God? And to go even further, shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? If I gave the most precious thing 
in my life, my, my firstborn child, would that be enough to cover my transgression, my sin? Is that really what you want, God, is a sacrifice from me? And you see, the, the prophet is declaring, what I have is not enough. What I can give is insufficient. There is nothing that I can do on my own to make this right between you and I. So then what do we do? How do we live? And he goes on and he tells us in verse 8, he, referring to the Lord, has shown you, O oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. First of all, there's the recognition that God is there, that he exists. And then he gives us three things that we can do and that God has shown us what to do. That these aren't secrets. He's shown us. This is what he wants of us. And the first thing is to act justly or to do what is right. To do what is just. And now this involves relations because you do what is right to other people as well as how you live your own life. And there is no substitute for doing what is right. I don't know how many times when my, my kids were young and growing up and, and they would do something, you know, wrong. They would break something. They would smack their sibling. They would, you know, whatever it was that just, you're not supposed to do that. And, and as you would deal with them, they would say, oh, I said I'm sorry. It's like, well, I'm glad you said you're sorry, but you need to stop smacking your sister because saying you're sorry does not, change what you're doing. You have to do what is right. And our actions have consequences. In Galatians, Paul tells us that you will reap what you sow. Don't, don't be deceived. God's not going to be mocked. That's, that's the way it is. That's how things go. And the idea of justice and doing what is right is an important part of our lives and how we live and how we treat each other. And when we have the awareness and conviction of what we need to do, we need to invest in those things because that's what we're supposed to do. Do what's right. And I don't know how many times I've talked to people and counseled people and it's after the fact of doing something they shouldn't have, that they knew they shouldn't have, that they reaped the consequences. And how much trouble could we save our lives if we would do what is just? How much heartache could we spare ourselves if we thought this way and had this mindset and he goes on not just to have this idea of you need to be just. You need to deal with one another righteously. You have to deal with this idea. And it reminds me of the beatitude that Jesus said, you know, blessed are those who hunger and thirst 
for what is right, for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. You want to be satisfied? Live a life that is right. Hunger and thirst for what is right. And I love the beatitude because you hunger for something that you don't yet have, right? I'm not yet righteous. I hunger for it. I shouldn't be hungry for the next two weeks with what I've eaten the last two days. But I was hungry. Come Christmas Eve when they were making the the enchilada casserole and when we had the tamales on Christmas, I was very hungry. Hungry for something. Are we hungry for what is right, for what is just? And after we desire to point our lives in the direction to live what is right, it says to love mercy. And that's an incredible statement, to love mercy. The idea of mercy is that of kindness, of compassion. That what we would desire is mercy. Not justice, not judgment, not vengeance, but mercy. I wonder, what, what do we love? in our relationships with one another? How do we see ourselves in our interaction with other people and what do we really want? From your husband, from your wife, from your children, from your in-laws, from your friends, from your people, co-workers, classmates. What do you want? Do you love mercy? Or is your relationship self-serving? It's, it's about me. What, what can this relationship give me? And you see, I've shared this before, and this is kind of one of, my, one of the things that I woke up thinking yesterday morning. It's something that I've shared here a number of times. You can know what is right, but if you love what is wrong, you will make the wrong decision. And we need to love mercy. We need to love kindness. It will save marriages. It will save relationships with family. It will save our own hearts. Because once we start going that path of wanting judgment, we forget the words of Jesus. With what measure you judge, it's going to be measured to you. If you can't forgive, neither will your heavenly Father forgive you your trespasses. And so mercy is foundational. And and the prophet is saying these things because these these are the things that God is shaping our lives around. You want a life that is okay with God? You want a life that is pleasing to God? Then you need to do what's right. You need to love mercy. And the last one is you need to walk humbly with your God. And that's an important one because... Usually what happens, if you start doing the right thing and you start being really kind to people, you start thinking you're hot stuff. Yeah, I do what's right. And I love those heathen people over there, you know. I show them mercy, bless you, you know. We, we have an air of self-righteousness, of arrogance. And being humble doesn't mean thinking little of yourself. Really, it means thinking nothing of yourself at all. Not being consumed with yourself, but recognizing the condition and relationship that you have that's there between you and God himself. 
How do you stand before this exalted God? You stand humbly. If you know him at all, you will be on your knees. You will humble yourself because he is holy. He is awesome. And we are but dust. And as we recognize our condition and our position with God, it brings the right state of mind. And you see, this is how we live our lives, by doing the things that are right, by loving mercy and by recognizing this position we have with God. And once again, it is all about our relationship with God and it being evident in our lives. You see, because when a person encounters God, they change. It changes who you are. You have an awareness of what is pleasing to God and you have a desire, if you care about God, to do those things. And as he has shown mercy to you, you show mercy to others. In fact, you live and love mercy. You bask in the glory of what mercy is because you've enjoyed it, because you've been blessed with it and you want to see it spread to those around you. And in that condition, knowing that you were guilty but been forgiven, how can you do anything but be humble? And if we had this mindset, if this was the way we thought, how would it affect the way we live? And how would it guard our hearts when you go through whatever it is? When you are successful, you get that promotion. You're now the manager. You're overseeing hundreds of people. How does that affect you? Well, I've got to do what's right. I've got to love mercy, and I've got to remember where I am in relationship to God because that's going to affect how I think about these people. It will move you in the right direction. What about when tragedy happens, when you go through an incredible loss? You've lost someone that you love. You still have to do the right thing. You still want to love mercy, and you still recognize that he is in heaven, you are on earth. And we are all frail. That our lives are as a vapor of smoke, as James tells us. One day we're here, one day we're gone. This is what we are to do. And, and it is the anchor that can hold you and keep you as you go through life, good times and bad. This is what the Lord has shown us. This is what he desires of us. And what's so interesting about this scripture in Micah is we find it in the Old Testament, but it is so fitting for the new covenant. God is preparing the way. I don't want the rivers of oil. I don't want a thousand rams. I don't want your firstborn. I want you. I want you. I'm not happy until I have you. And that's what he's pointing us towards. Turn with me to Luke chapter 16. A parable of the shrewd manager. I thought that was funny how it's shrewd. That's not a word we, we use that often. I loved, uh, I think it was the New Living Translation that called him a dishonest rascal. The parable of the dishonest rascal, you know, it's like. But it, it kind of gives you, because shrewd, you know, the shrewd makes you think, oh yeah, they're shrewd. It could be a good thing, but we want to look at this and and see what is taking place here. Luke 16, verses 1 through 9. Jesus told his disciples, There was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, What is this I hear about you? 
Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. The manager said to himself, What shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each of his master's debtors. He asked the first, How much do you owe my master? 800 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 400. Then he asked the second, how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves, so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. This parable always freaked me out. Like, how do I deal with this? Because what this manager does isn't right, by the way. Just so you know, it's not okay to take someone else's money and decide to get less for it. Okay, if you're working for someone else, you say, oh, $1,000, just give me 500 that's okay. That's not what this is about. It's not saying it's okay to be dishonest. It's okay to do what this person did. The point of this parable, as he concludes there, he was shrewd because he made, he used what he had to make friends. He invested in the people. The people were more important than the oil, than the wheat, than the debt that was owed. But because he developed the relationship with people, that relationship with people is what is going to be able to carry them. And what Jesus is telling us, you need to invest in people. Not invest in just the worldly thing and success. Because when the success is gone, and if the success leaves you, what do you have left? I am dealing with a, a couple who are going through some serious issues, and this one fellow, his family is nowhere to be found. He doesn't have any brothers, doesn't have any sisters. His father is far away. His mother has passed away. And now he's left and needing a place and needing help, has a job, has all these things, but he doesn't have family. And he finds himself in this predicament. What am I going to do? Where am I going to live? Where, how am I going to get by in this condition? But you know what he has? He has some friends who've opened up rooms for him, who are helping him to get through this adjusting period because he's invested in the relationship with them. He has that for them. And the investment we have in people is so important. I mean, we just went through Christmas, and I think you understand the importance of family in those times that you have. I have been so blessed with the, the gifts and the baskets that I've received, the, the cookies. Ah, you know, there's so many cookies. I, I can't eat them all, and they're on this table, and you walk by, and it's just, oh, it's just a small cookie, but I've had 40 of them today, you know? It's like... I'm just thankful for the blessings that I have from, from you, from my families. 
and you see how important those things are. That Thursday, I did a wedding. The wedding is from a young man who I knew in Little League. He's in the military now. He's in the army. And so he, he was able to fly in from Germany, get married on Thursday, just before Christmas. Everyone's like, are you crazy? It's Christmas time. Oh, this is his window of opportunity to get married. I sat down with them. I Skyped, counseled them, you know, and we sat down and talked and I had a great talk with them Wednesday and just poured out my heart to them about the difficulties of marriage and about the necessity of the Lord in their lives and the foundation. And it was a great time and it was a great talk. And, and as I was going through the wedding, I'm seeing all these kids I knew from Little League. You know, yeah, I coached you. Yeah, I remember that year. I coached you. And you're thinking there. In fact, one of, one of the young men came up and when I first saw him, he came and he just gave me this giant hug. And he's huge now. I mean, he's like six foot tall. I don't know how much he weighs, but he's a big guy. And he just hugged me and I'm just like, I felt like a dwarf in his arms. And I remember him when he was just 12 and he was on my team. And I started talking with him and I've been instant messaging him back and forth and texting him and have lunch with him. And it was funny, he told me, this guy came into my work and he started preaching at me and I thought to myself, he doesn't have the right to preach to me, only you do. And I thought, oh, I've never preached to him, but okay. But the conversation began and again, I'm going to have lunch with him and I've kind of connected back with him and as I was sitting at the reception table and we were talking, I was actually talking to some of the parents and one of the moms said, did you ever think you would have such an influence on these people just because you were a little league coach? I said, I had no idea. I was trying to teach them how to, you know, field grounders. I had no idea that they were going to have this kind of connection. And you see the investment we make in people we don't realize how important it is and how lasting it is. The influence that you have in people is something that is of great value. And so another thing I wanted to share is this relationship that we have with God that affects us, it's telling us that we need to invest in people. That you need to care about others more than you care about yourself. And you need to look at that as an investment. You need to look at that as putting money in the bank that you will one day get to draw from and receive the benefits of. Because it really is all about people. And you will find that if you give of yourself to people, that you will reap dividends that you can't imagine. That you will have what he talks about here. I mean, and the way he says it is amazing. So that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. You will have something that lasts a lot longer than the money. You will have built something that is more valuable than the material. You will have invested in the lives of people whom Christ cares for and died. And so we need to have this understanding and this recognition that if we're going to move forward in life, that there are things that are important, and those things are people. That's why we have to do what is right. That's why we have to love 
mercy. That's why we have to walk humbly. Because if we're going to be in this relationship with other people, those things are going to be needed to have a healthy relationship with people. Turn with me. One more scripture I want to look at. Philippians chapter 4. Starting at verse 12. Paul says, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in every, in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Okay, you guys ready? I have learned the secret to being content. Who wants to be content? Anyone? I see that hand. The rest of you are sleeping or something. I have learned the secret of being content, whether I had a lot or whether I had nothing. And now Paul's lack, we have an idea of what it is. It's like being in prison. It's like being beaten. It's like being homeless. Okay, so there's the little and, you know, the a lot. We have ideas. He did well sometimes, but he knows the secret of being content no matter what the situation. And again, this is what we're trying to establish, a foundation to live our lives on that is going to secure us through whatever comes the next year the things that will hold us through whatever happens in our lives. And he says in verse 13, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. There's God again. I can get through whatever it is as God is with me and gives me strength. When I sat down with this young couple and talked about their life together, and their marriage. What do you tell a young couple that's facing? I've been married 26 years. Do I go through every story? Do I tell them all the, the problems that I've had? Do I tell them all the difficulties I've had? Do I tell them all the good things? Well, do, if you do this, you do this, and you do this, this will be good. But if this, this, and this happen, I don't know what's going to happen. He's going to go back to Afghanistan, actually. What happens if he gets injured? Oh my gosh, how is that going to affect your lives? What if he's wounded? What if, what if the, the what-ifs are unknown? What do you tell someone? What foundation do you give them that's going to hold them through whatever life has for them? The Lord is able to give you strength. This is talking about dependency. This is talking about reliance. This is talking about putting your trust in God and not the little or the lot. This is talking about a foundation of who God is being a part of your life in the innermost part of who you are, how you live, allowing his voice to direct your life. So when he says, I want you to do what is just, you say, God wants me to do just. I'm going to do justly. I want you to love mercy. God wants me to love mercy. I'm going to love mercy. I want you to walk humbly, recognize who I am, that my words and my thoughts are so high above yours as the heavens are above the earth. I recognize your wisdom. I will listen to it. I lean my life on you. And I want to stay there. 
I don't want to leave a life that is dependent on God. I want to stay in that place where I seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and trust that he will provide the needs for my life. That I don't love the things in the world, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. But I do the will of God and it abides forever. That I am connected to eternity because I am connected to the God of eternity. And it doesn't matter what circumstances change. I have faith in the living God who gave himself for me through Jesus, who was merciful towards me. I'm going to live there. I'm going to set my camp there. And I'm not moving. And what you need, what we need, is the realization of how much we need God in our lives. For whatever will happen, and I have no idea what will happen. It's such a strange thing sometimes. Christmas Eve, we were Skyping my nephew who's in Japan and looking at his new daughter. And she's beautiful, and they're smiling, and, and you know, you're just in awe. And you're thinking, oh, this is wonderful. And then I'm getting a text message from a person who, whose wife has left him. And you're looking and you're thinking, wow. How does this happen? How, how do we get to a place from this joy to this tragedy? And, and what holds you? I lean on God. I can do everything as he gives me strength. If he is a part of my life and he has voice in my life and I trust that voice, he will secure me. Psalm 61 Verse 1, it says, Hear my cry, O God, listen to my prayer. From the ends of the earth, I call to you. I call as my heart grows faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. You see, what we all need in our lives is a rock that is higher than us. What we need is a foundation that is stronger than the shifting sand of the world. What we need is something that we can count on. And there is nothing you can count on except God, accept his mercy, accept for his love. There is nothing. And we need to understand that and we need to live our lives in recognition of that. And this new year, whatever comes your way, you can be content. You can be satisfied. You can know that you are in relation with the living God you can have security and that's my desire for all of you here and I know some of the situations some of you are going through and I know the hardship and we can talk about particulars and we can talk about specifics but this morning I'm giving you just general foundation how involved is God with you how real is he to you? Does he have a voice in your life? Can he tell you, I want you to live the right way and you listen and care? Does he tell you that I want you to love mercy and I want you to care about other people? I want you to invest in those people, not just yourself. 
And you know it's the right thing to do. And you recognize your dependency on him. That you can only do all things as he gives you strength. And it humbles you and it makes you rely upon him completely. And, and I hope that you will understand who God is, how much he cares for you, that he's given us this guideline and instruction for our lives, for our benefit, so that we can be content, so that we can be satisfied. In fact, more than that, he's come that you might have life and you might have it in abundance. And the problem is we want to find our lives and we want to feed our lives with everything we can. And Jesus said, if you want to find your life, you will lose it. But if you will lose your life for my sake, oh, will you find life? Oh, will you be content? Oh, will it be a safeguard for your soul? Oh, will it hold you when everything else falls apart? If you lose your life for my sake, then you find life. Then you find life. And as 2011 approaches, and it's already going to fly by, I can't believe it's here. There were so many things I was supposed to do. I was supposed to paint the bathroom. <laughs> and more important things as well. So many things that just slip by. And as 2011 comes and as the year in life faces us with the changes and all the fears that are there, hold on to what is secure. Listen to the voice of God as he speaks to us. Take heed to what he says for it's true. It's a foundation you can build on. And you guys, invest in people. Invest in one another. You need it more than you know. We all do. And you will find that it is something that will enrich your life as you care about others. And so this was my New Year's message for us. Again, next week we'll, we'll go through a DVD series and then we'll be in Corinthians again. We'll talk about freedom and, and responsibilities. But my prayer for you this morning is that you will recognize God's involvement in your life. Allow his voice to speak to your life and the things that he said. I shared a few things with you that I hope will give you incentive to, to find out more what God wants. How important are the scriptures to our lives? How important is prayer? How important are people? Invest in these things that will build you up, will strengthen you, and will not fade away. Let's pray. Father, I know that this has been a lesson I have learned over and over and over again. Father, there are times when I'm filled with faith and I am trusting in you where it seems like all hell can break loose and it doesn't shake me. And there are other times, God, where the smallest thing moves me and breaks me and cracks me and I cry out, where are you, God? And I wonder and I struggle with my own faith. But you always lead me back to that rock that is higher than myself. Lord, there is a foundation that we build upon that does not wash away when the storms of life come. It is a rock that will hold us. And Lord, if we're not trusting in you, if you are not the anchor to our soul, 
then our houses are built on sand, just as the, the parable that you gave, Jesus. And when the storms come, it'll wash away, and great will be the ruin. Lord, I pray for everyone who is here this morning. Father, as the new year comes and our lives are just maybe looked at and we wonder about resolutions and we think about how quickly time has passed, may we recognize the importance you play in our life's purpose. May we take to heart the things that you say. May we allow you to be involved with every area of our lives. May we allow you to speak into us the things that are right, the things that we should do, the things that we shouldn't do. May we give heed to your voice and know that you give us these instructions for a reason. You don't just give out arbitrary commands. Lord, might we recognize the mercy you've given us and give it to others. Lord, might our lives be about investing in those who you gave your life for. Have your way with us this morning. I pray you secure us with your love, your goodness, your foundation of grace. May we stay there. May we rest in there, Father. May we camp in your mercy, your love, and your goodness and receive strength from you to secure us through this next year. Lord, I lift up Mary and her mom to you. I pray you would be with her. She's at the hospital. Lord, I pray that you would give her mom strength to be able to get out of this pneumonia. But Lord, it's just been a battle that's been getting worse. And I entrust the family to you, Father. Thank you for loving us, caring, and having mercy on us, Lord. We do love you, and I ask your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen.